Good morning. Uh, my name is Tommy, and if it's your first time, like Dan, Dan said, I am so glad that you're here, that you take some time out on a Sunday morning to come hang out with us and check out this warehouse on 18 and realize, for some of you may have been surprised, there might be a church inside and not just, you know, a bunch of random things in a warehouse. Um, as we get started, before we do, I actually want to tell you a little bit about who I am. Um, I get the privilege of working on staff here. I help oversee creative arts, which a lot, a lot of what happens in this building, but um, one of the great things about who I am is actually, like, my crew. So, like, I, I, any chance I get to show off my girls, I'm going to show them off. Like, they are awesome. So this is my wife, Sarah. Um, we have been married for seven years, almost. I had to ask her again this week to remind that I said the right thing. So I'm like, every guy in this room I can never remember um, what, how long, but it's been great. She's a nurse at Akron Children's. She is such an awesome woman, um, and I would not be where I am without her um, in a lot of ways, yeah. And this is our oldest. This is Hazel. Hazel Elise, um, this is probably the most accurate representation of what she wears during the summer all the time, a bathing suit. This girl loves water. I mean, like, it is like her favorite thing. Anytime we pull out the sprinkler or her little pool, she's just in heaven. She cannot wait. Um, she is also the most articulate three-year-old I've ever met in my life. I have a master's degree, and I'm learning about English from my three-year-old. Like, she can speak full sentences, which still blows my mind, um, but the sentence she says every day, Dada, am I still three? And I'm like, yes. And it just clicked with me. The reason is she's gone to a lot of birthday parties recently and realized when it's your birthday, you get presents. So she's asking every day, not am I still three, but is it my birthday? We only have to keep hearing this till January. I'm so excited. I can't wait because, you know, that's when her birthday is. She's going to be four in January. It's a blast. I love her. Um, she's a great, my little blue-eyed wonder. And then you've got, um, this is Layla, our one-year-old. She just turned one like a, a week and a half ago. And actually, this picture was taken at her birthday party. And um, soon after this picture was taken, this one was taken. She is just gorging herself in sugar, and for the next 30 minutes, she was a wild woman running around going crazy, and then she crashed harder than I've ever seen. It was a blast. It was awesome. Um, she just started walking, so it's, like, it's a whole new world in our house. Now we have two of them. We're not going zone defense between my wife and I with the girls. It's man-to-man. -man. <laughs> man, they keep us on our toes. And when I come home, a lot of times, like I love seeing my girls and seeing them and love seeing my wife and saying hi to Hazel, but I'm greeted by Layla with this face. Always. I, this girl has got the stank eye down. Like, I'm literally, it's, it's so funny. She just started walking. So I'll open the door and I'll come in and she just walks and goes, and I'm like, hi, Layla. She's like, she like runs away the other direction. She's like so excited. She has no idea what she's doing. She actually, the nursery worker today was like, I've seen that face every five minutes. So yeah, she does it all the time. It's great. I love my crew. I love my girls. Um, we are blessed to be able to have two healthy kids and it's great. Um, what we're talking about today, I want to jump into this conversation that we're continuing. And what we're talking about is, what does it mean to be bold? What does it mean to be bold? What does a be bold lifestyle look like? And for some of us, as, as we get here, I just want to catch us all up. When we hear the word bold, things that come to mind are like out loud, or a bold font, something you do on like Microsoft Word, or standing out from the rest. And while those are all definitions that we're like, yeah, those are good definitions, those are things that we would say, yeah, what we've seen is biblical boldness, or what it means to live a bold lifestyle, is actually something a little bit different. So I have a question for you. When you hear the words bold Christian or bold Christ follower, what comes to mind? What comes to mind when you hear the words bold Christ follower? And I think for some of us, when we hear that, the image that will come to mind is something like this. It's the idea of um, the pulpit pounding, shove it down your throat, Christian. 
the, the person that's all concerned about always being right and you knowing that they're right. It's that person that's all about truth and nothing else. And what we've said over the last couple of weeks is that this actually misses the mark and actually misses what it means to be a bold Christ follower. It doesn't quite hit it correctly. So what we're going to be talking about today is one aspect of being bold, and that's bold love. What does it look like to live, live a bold love? Um, Tony was talking to me about this a couple weeks ago, and he was like, hey, man, you're going to be preaching on bold love. And I was like, sweet. And I'm like, and I'll be honest, the first image that came to mind when I heard bold love was this. It's the hippie love. It's all about love and nothing else, man. Or the Jesus loves everyone. There's no need to judge. There is no truth, only love. And I think at its core, while we might laugh at it, I think some of us, when we hear the word love, we might kind of go on this lovey-dovey thing. And I think this misses the mark. See, when we're talking about bold love and what is a biblical understanding of bold love, just as much as this image misses the mark on what it means to be a bold Christian, I think this one misses the mark also on what it means to have bold love. I think they both miss the mark on what it means to live a bold lifestyle or what it means to be bold in what we do. And what we've been saying is this, biblical boldness is this, it's unreserved transparency spoken with gentleness and respect without ambiguity. It's unreserved transparency with gentleness and respect without ambiguity. It's, it's, it's a mix of both truth and love. Somewhere, bold love, living a, being a bold Christ follower with bold love is somewhere in between these two. It's not the hippie kind of love and it's not the pulpit pounding kind of truth. It's somewhere in between. It's spoken with gentleness and respect without ambiguity. So what we're going to be doing today is we're going to be in John 4. So if you have your Bible or your smartphone or if you don't own a Bible, there's actually some of the seat backs in front of you. Um, take, if you don't own one, take that home with you. Uh, maybe give it to somebody or read it yourself. And if you have questions, we'd love to talk to you about that. Um, and we're going to, it's on page 741 in those black hardcover Bibles. But what we're going to be diving into today, what we're going to be looking at is what does it look like to love boldly and what is the heart behind bold love? So what does it mean to love boldly and what is the heart or what are the reasons why we love boldly? So what I'm going to be doing is looking at Christ's example, Jesus' example of how he showed bold love to a, to a person. So we're going to be diving right here. We're going to be in verse 1 right from the beginning. If you want to follow along as I read, go ahead and follow. It goes like this. Now Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that he was gaining and baptizing more disciples than John. Although in fact it was not Jesus who baptized, but his disciples. So he left Judea and went back once more to Galilee. Now he had to go through Samaria. Okay, set the stage. What's going on? Jesus and his homeboys, Jesus and his dudes, Jesus and his guys. They're going around doing, doing the work, and they're about to go into Samaria. And Samaria, as we'll see in a minute, is like enemy territory. So they're about to go into a place that is not always a good thing. And this is what happens. As they were entering into Samaria, it was about noon, when a Samaritan woman came to draw water. Jesus said to her, will you give me a drink? For his disciples had gone into the town to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, you are a Jew and I am a Samaritan. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with Samaritan. Okay, pause real quick. A um, couple of important details. First one is this. Um, she is a Samaritan woman. 
She is a Samaritan woman. Why is this a big deal? Um, well, it's such a big deal that John actually says this four times. I actually have made a mistake all three other services, and I have to point this out. He says Samaritan four. So I just did these three, and then I just realized I'm reading that I missed one. So there is four. I'm just going to own up to my mistake right here. Um, so there are four times in this passage that he says this woman is a Samaritan. Now, why is that such a big deal? Well, let's, let's understand what a Samaritan is. At its, at its root, what a Samaritan is, is it's a half-Jew. It's a person who father or mother is Jewish, but the other one is not. And so for a Jewish person, when you heard the word Samaritan, the type of idea that would come to your head is you would view that person as not quite fully human or as a low person. They weren't good enough to be Jewish, so therefore you didn't like them. They were thought of as less than. They were, they were down and out. You didn't really talk to them. They were enemies, purely because Jews thought really well of themselves. And so you have this Samaritan woman and you have her where we find out later that she's not well-liked. In fact, no one in town likes her. She's been on the wrong side of every story in her life. Uh, a way to put it, this woman, you know that kid at lunch who sits by themselves. She's the type of woman that sits by herself at lunch and even the teachers don't like her. No one likes this woman. Why? We find out later that she's an immoral woman. Um, and there's also a big fact that kind of gets dropped here. The fact that it was noon says something really important. Uh, just go somewhere with me. Um, go to the Sahara Desert at noon, in your mind, real quick. What's going on? It's hot. The sun is beating down on you. You want water. And you're probably trying to find shelter as quickly as you can. You're probably trying to find a place that is like, wow, I want to avoid this heat at all possible. So think about it. You might be going, okay, so it's noon, it's hot, she wants to get water. Well, when you start to understand the social practice of that day of getting water, you actually realize this is really weird. Because you've got to think, it's super hot. So these, what would happen is to go to get water, women would all go as a collective group with their jars. They'd go all together at either the beginning of the day or the end of the day. Um, it was like the social thing to do. It was the place for women to get together, spend time together, have relationships, talk about the gossip of the town, all that stuff. Um, and it was the equivalent of like, instead of Facebook, we'll call it well book. This was the social thing to do. You went with all the women at the beginning of the day or at the end of the day. So the fact that it's noon says something about her. She is willing to endure the physical pain of the sun to avoid any conversation with anybody. She is willing to endure the pain physically and all the other things to avoid the ridicule and the shame and the dirty licks from other women because she does not want to spend time with them. We find out later it's because these women do not like her. She's an immoral woman. She's doing some stuff that we'll see that made other women judge her and she wanted to avoid the shame. I don't know about you, but like to avoid sometimes my pain, I'm gonna do everything I can to avoid it. And that's what she's doing. She's willing to go at noon at the hottest part of the day to avoid any sort of social interaction that's gonna make her feel lower than she already feels. So let's set the scene. So we have two characters in the story. We have Sam and Jesus. I'm really creative, so the Samaritan woman, I'm gonna call Sam. It's just, you know, I'm really, really creative. So what we're gonna show is like, as the readers, as they're reading this and they look at these two characters, they're gonna immediately see some red flags about one of them, and it's with Sam, and it's this. First off, as we've said, they're gonna recognize that she's a Samaritan. So the readers are gonna be like, okay, we don't really like her. <laughs> like, you don't really talk to this person because she's a Samaritan, she, you know, and it's new. And they're like, eh, she's not good. Um, the fact that she's a woman is actually a big deal in that day. Um, 
Unlike today, back then, women were seen as less than. They didn't have the same rights as men. Um, and the fact that she's a Samaritan woman means not only is she low, but in the eyes of the people, she's lower than low. She's the lowest of the low. And she's an immoral woman. She's not doing things that other people see as good or that what people say is good. And so she is seen very much as a, no, 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 you don't talk to this woman. You only judge this woman. As opposed to Jesus, who is a Jew, who is seen as a very, that's a very high status in this day, as well as a man, which means he has a lot more rights than she does. This doesn't mean that that's right. That was just the social practice of that day. And he was a rabbi, or he was a teacher of the law, or the teacher of the Bible. So he was seen as a very moral, high-standing person. So the person who is reading this would have red flags flying. They would be going, no, 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 these two people, they don't talk to each other. In fact, they're going to do everything they can not to talk to each other because it is a huge social no-no for, for Sam and Jesus to be spending time even talking about getting a drink of water. You don't do that. But what Jesus is going to do is with bold love, he's going to do something crazy unexpected. He's like, nope, that wall doesn't exist. I'm going to go out of my way to talk to her. I'm going to go out of my way to, to have a conversation with her. And, and I think, like, if we're honest, just go somewhere with me. Think of somebody who's the opposite of you or who really, really annoys you. Where is the first place in our mind that we like to go? Judgment or unexpected love? I know for myself, I can't answer for everyone, but I'm a whole, it's a whole lot easier for me to go judge them and kind of keep them at arm's length and think, yeah, I need to keep that barrier between me and them because for what it's going to look like. And it's a whole lot harder for me in unexpected or in bold love to reach out. And that's what Jesus does. And I think as we try to boldly love people, as we try to do that, there's something that's really good to keep in mind that helps us kind of humanize the other person. And it's this. Everyone is hurting. Everyone is hurting. If we're honest, if we really examine ourselves, it may not be a physical pain, although it might be, but a lot of us probably carry around with us some sort of emotional baggage or societal baggage or some sort of thing that we're carrying around that we have a lot of pain. And what Jesus recognizes about Sam is that she's carrying something really heavy. And as we try to boldly love people, I think it's really good to keep in mind that everybody has a story and everybody's going through something. Everybody has something going on in their life, some sort of baggage in some way, whether recognized or unrecognized, that's really hurting. And what Jesus is gonna do is his bold love, what he's gonna be talking to this woman about is he wants to take her out of that hurting into something greater. He doesn't wanna leave her there. And that's where this conversation is going to go. So remember, Jesus has just asked this woman for a drink. She has reminded him she's a Samaritan and Jews don't, don't ask Samaritans for water. And this is what happens next. Jesus answered her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Sir, the woman said, you have nothing to draw with and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob who gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did also his sons and his livestock? Jesus answered, everyone who drinks this water, pointing at the well, will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, sir, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water. Um, I'm going to give you the Tommy translation of this right here. Sir, 
I want me some of that. Sir, give me that water. Why? Think about it. Put yourself in her shoes for a second. What's going on? Every time she has to go get water, she's got to walk through town and deal with the ridicule of everyone looking at her, the judgments, let alone she's probably physically thirsty and wants water, so there's physical pain involved as well. If she could avoid the ridicule, the judgments, and not be thirsty again, you think she'd want some of that? Let me ask you this. If someone could take away all your pain and your thirst for the rest of your life, isn't that something you'd want? And she recognizes, man, he's talking about something different than this physical well. I want me some of that. And this brings up the second thing that I think is really important for us to remember as we're trying to boldly love people, and it's this. Everyone is thirsty. Everyone is thirsty. Everyone has this interior, in inward longing for something. Whether it's recognized or unrecognized, there's something inside of us that we long to fill. It might be love, acceptance, belonging, relationships, purpose. We're all longing for something. Um, Blaise Pascal, um, a guy, he said this really, really well. Um, He put it this way. There is a God-shaped vacuum in the heart of each man which cannot be satisfied by any creative thing, but only by God the creator, made known through Jesus Christ. Or another way to say this, there is a God-shaped thirst in the heart of each man. There is something inside all of us, whether we recognize it or not, that is a longing for something. And what we see is Jesus recognizes this in this woman, that she is longing for something. In fact, what we find out is she's longing for acceptance, to be loved, to, to be seen as who she is. And Jesus recognized it. And this is what Jesus says. He goes, he told her, recognizing she has this thirst, go call your husband and come back. She replied, I have no husband, which is a partial truth, and Jesus is gonna point that out to her. Jesus said to her, in gentleness and respect, you are right when you say you have no husband. The fact is you have had five husbands, and the man you now have is not your husband. What you have just said is quite true. Look, what Jesus is pointing out here by saying you have five husbands is saying that you are trying to fill this God-shaped thirst with men. You are trying to fill this sense of belonging, this hole of the sense that she has of wanting to be loved, to be a part of, to feel with men. Not one, not two, not three, not four, not five. I feel like LeBron right now. I know it's probably too soon for that. But six Think about it, she's been with five husbands, but the one she's with now is not her husband. She's with her sixth man. She's desperately, desperately thirsty and doesn't recognize it. This is what Jesus with bold love is trying to point out to her. The woman kept going back to men. Let me ask you this. What do you find yourself always going back to? What is the thing that if you were to ask your closest friends or your significant other or those around you that you trust that you were like, hey, what is the thing I go back to? How would they answer that? What are the things that we go after in our life that we're trying to fill this God-shaped vacuum with? I, I, I know for me, like I've tried to fill out my past with women, with sports, video games, um, music, education. I've tried to do that. And what Jesus is going to say to this woman is like, every time you're going to that, you're missing it. I don't know about you, but when I go back to that thing, I leave after I achieve whatever it is, 
feeling I'm longing for something more. And what Jesus is about to say to this woman is something kind of crazy. He's about to point out to her where she can quench this thirst and not hurt anymore. And watch, watch what he says. Um, Sir, the woman said, I can see that you are a prophet. Our ancestors worshiped on this mountain, but you Jews claim that the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. Um, this is actually kind of funny. So Jesus has just pointed out to her, you have five husbands. So Jesus is like, woman, in gentleness. He's like, woman, you have five husbands. And her response, she's like, oh, snap. Uh, look at the mountain. It's back over here. She's trying to deflect. She's like, I don't want to deal with this. I don't want to deal with the bold love you're showing me. You're, you're without ambiguity telling me. And she's like, you must be a prophet. Here's a mountain. Stop talking about me. And I think some of us, sometimes when we receive bold love, we can treat it that way. We're like, oh, we like quench back. We get defensive or we try to change the subject. We deflect. And what's really good is like Jesus doesn't say to her, woman, stop deflecting. Actually, what he does is he goes there with her in this conversation. He goes, you're right. There is a mountain. Look what he says. Woman, which is said in gentleness and respect to her, believe me, a time is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know, for salvation is from the Jews. Yet a time is coming and has now come when the true worshipers will follow, will worship the Father in spirit and in truth, for they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. God is spirits, and his worshipers must worship in the spirit and in truth. Um, Sam is about to summarize what Jesus says in both of these sections in one little phrase, and this is what she says. The woman says, I know that Messiah called Christ is coming. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. What she's saying is that person that we're gonna worship that's going to explain everything is the Messiah. He's going to explain all of it to us. Watch Jesus' response. Then Jesus declared, I, the one speaking to you, I am he. What is Jesus saying? He's saying, I am the Messiah. This is monumental. Like, this is crazy. In the book of John, this is one of the first times that Jesus will, without ambiguity, with unreserved transparency, say who he is and why. If you, if you know anything about this word or if you've been around, you might have heard this word said. What a Messiah is at its fundamental core is this. It's one that has come to save. Or it's the Savior, it's the idea of somebody at a higher place coming to someone to a lower place and bringing them to something greater. So what he is telling this woman is that longing for thirst that you have in your life, this deep longing, this vacuum that's in your life, I'm the one that can save you from that. I'm the one that can take you to this thing that you are longing for that you don't even recognize that you're looking for. Um, you ever have... Um, those cheesy grin moments in life. And what I mean by that is something so perfect happens or something so crazy that all you can do is just sit back and smile. Because it's like, this is just so good. Like, it's the only thing you can do is just smile. She has one of these moments for me. Like, I can't do anything but smile. And this is what she does. Then leaving her water jar, the woman went back to the town and said to the people, come, see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Messiah? They came out of the town and made their way to him. Look, she experienced Jesus' bold love and the cheesy grin moment. What's the thing she does? She testifies. She can't shut up about it. The, her only response to experiencing the ultimate form of bold love from Jesus is what? To go tell other people about it. Think about it for a second. Who are the people in the town? It's the people she's trying to avoid, right? 
It's the people who are judging her, who are ridiculing her, who she's at all cost, willing to go to the well at noon, she's trying to avoid. They're the people she goes and tells. She doesn't care anymore. Her enemies are now someone that she wants them to experience the love of Jesus in the same way she's experienced it. Even to the point, notice this, she leaves her water jar. She leaves behind the very thing she left. Why do you go to a well? To get what? Water. You ever go to Target and you leave with $40 of not apples? She went to the well and and left with $40 of not water. She forgot the very reason she went there. Why? Uh, Commentators say that most likely the reason is John is trying to say her immediate need, she forgot about it because her ultimate need had just been met. She had experienced Jesus in a way that had never experienced before, that the only thing she could do is tell someone about it. She didn't even care that she was thirsty in that moment. Because Jesus had satisfied that longing that she had been looking for. Okay, you might be like me and you read the story and like, okay, that's a really cool story. So what? How does that, what can, what does that do with me? How does that play out in my life? And I think the question that's worth asking out of this story is this. How can we boldly love? How can we help people experience the bold love that Sam experienced? How do we really boldly love someone? What does it look like to love someone in a right way that leads them to nothing but who they are changed? And I think it's this. um, The fullest expression of love for others is not just to meet immediate needs, but ultimate needs. The fullest expression of love is not to simply meet someone's immediate needs, but their ultimate needs. Not to meet purely the physical needs, not to disregard them, not to say they're not worth it, think of something else. That's important, but not to stop there. There is an ultimate need. There's an ultimate form of love, and that's what Jesus is sharing, and that's who he is. That's his love. So I would say this, the ultimate thing, the ultimate form of love is to share Jesus. The ultimate form of love, its final form, its lasting, the ultimate thing, our goal as Christ followers in being bold is to share Jesus. The reason we're bold is because Jesus loved us and he wants us to share that. He wants people to experience his love and who he is. So if we're gonna meet people's ultimate need, we need to know what that is, which is sharing Jesus. Um. I think there are two pitfalls that we can fall into when we share Jesus. Two kind of mental traps or kind of misguided goals that can happen when we're sharing Jesus. And they're like this. The first one is this. We only love to change them. Or we only love people with an ulterior motive of hoping that they change or that they convert. And I think this misses the mark. Uh, Let me put it this way. You ever have that phone call with a friend that you haven't seen in years or that text conversation, or maybe a Facebook message, and you're like catching up, reminiscing about old stories, and you're like, man, this is really good to catch up. I actually had one of these recently. Um, and we get towards the end of the conversation, I was on the phone with this guy, and he was like, hey man, it's so good to catch up. I'm like, yeah, dude, we should do this more often. He goes, yeah, hey, um, real quick, I have an important business opportunity for you. I wanted to throw my phone against a wall. I just spent like 10 minutes talking to a guy I haven't talked to in forever, and he had an ulterior motive. He just wanted something out of me. He didn't want to catch up with me. He used the relationship for something else. And I think if we're not careful, we can become Jesus peddlers or life change pill peddlers. 
You want to live a better life? You want to do, you know, you want to, you want to change? You want to be something different? Just here, let me tell you how to change. And we miss Jesus altogether. The ultimate goal, I think, is to share Jesus. What can happen is we can change that ultimate goal into changing them. What I mean by that, I was talking with a guy this week and we were going back and forth um, and he made this comment. He goes, dude, I just want my significant other to change. Once she changes, she'll fully understand it. It'll be great. Like, that's my goal. And I was like, dude, I think you're missing it. Because if she changes and never experiences Jesus, what good is it? If she changes, she changes who she is, but never experiences the love of Jesus, I think you're missing it. Your goal is not to change her. Your goal is to love her as Jesus loves you. You're all, look, if we really think that Jesus, if we believe in who he is, that that changes everything from what we do to what we say to what we think to the way we live life to how we interact with people, the byproduct of a person experiencing Jesus is they are changed. I was um, talking last night, Seth Tonkar afterwards. We have this thing where after whoever preaches, there's a group of guys that'll stand around and kind of will, they'll tear, tear apart the sermon, give some feedback. Um, it's actually one of my favorite times during the week because it's the one time I can tell Tony what I actually think. Um, but Seth, I was talking and Seth was giving me some really, really good feedback. Um, some really good, and his feedback was this. He was like, you know, honestly, when, I, when you said change them, the first thing that came to mind is it's like, dude, that's super selfish. Because if you think about it, when we're, trying to, when we're trying to love people to change them, it's really about what matters to me. It's about catering to my needs, not yours. Because why? Ultimately, we want someone to change. It's not because we want them to change. It's because we want them to be a little less annoying. We want them to live life our way, not their way. Or we want it to cater to our needs, not theirs. And he's like, ultimately, I think that misses what it means to love someone. It means to love them in spite of who they are. It's to be unexpected in our love, to go the extra mile to love them and show them so that they can experience Jesus' love at its fullest, the bold type of love he wants. So if this is the first pitfall that we can only love to change them, what's the second? I think the second one is this. We love without ever sharing Jesus. We love without ever sharing Jesus, or we like to be the sideline Christ follower. Look, I know not everyone in this room is a Christ follower, so if you're here investigating, I'm super glad you're here. But if you're a Christ follower, I know for myself, um, I can fall into this pit. It's the idea of standing on the sideline and going, well, you know, I want to love them, but, um, you know, when they come talk to me about this stuff, then we'll have the conversation. Or if you're like me, um, I'm much more of like, man, I really like my neighbor and I like hanging out with him. And so if I tell them about Jesus, I don't want them to think of me as weird. I, I really like hanging out with him. And if I tell him, I don't think they're ever going to invite me over again. Or I don't want them to think of me when I come around that they're going to like walk away because they don't want to talk to me anymore. Like, I like it. And I think that honestly falls short of what it means to ultimately love someone. Uh, he, let me say it this way. Does anybody know who this is? Anybody? Who is it? Penn and Teller. It's Penn and Teller. Um, if you know who this is, Penn and Teller, they are a comedic duo. Um, they actually do magic tricks. They have like a TV show and stuff like that. And their whole shtick, what they do, this guy does all the talking, this guy does all the work. Like that's literally what they do. Penn will just stand there and tell her, who never talks, which is ironic that his name is Teller. Anyways, um, he just does all the tricks. And if you know anything about Penn specifically, you know that one of the things you learn very quickly in, in talking to him is he is a devout atheist. He, like for, he will say it over and over and over again, I know for a fact there is no God. And he's unbudged from that. That's where he's at. Um, one of the things that he does is he puts up what, like a, almost like a video journal on YouTube 
where he'll talk about different things um, going on, maybe about the show or something he's learning or different things. It's kind of cool. And one of his videos, he was talking about an interaction he had with somebody after the shows. So after one of his shows, what they do after their shows, Penn and Teller will go back and they'll talk with people, they'll take pictures, maybe sign autographs, they'll just have conversations. And Penn was talking with one guy in particular that they were going back and forth talking about life and Penn used these words, this guy was like kind, he was normal, he was, a, you know, he was a, just a businessman, they were going back and forth. And at the end of the conversation, um, Penn described it this way, this guy was like, hey man, um, hey Penn, I just wanna let you know, um, I'm normal, which let's be honest, we all wanna be thought of that way. I'm sane in the membrane, which I don't know if you can be normal and say sane in the membrane in the same conversation. He's like, I'm normal, I'm sane, I'm just a business guy. Um, look, I want to give you something. And he handed him a Bible, a New Testament. And he's like, look, I'm not going to give you the 10 reasons why you should be a Christ follower. I'm not, not, but in the front is my phone number and email. If you read this through and want to talk, I'd love to talk to you. And what Penn said, the way he goes, this guy was normal, he was patient, he was gentle, he was kind, he was a good man. And he goes, and he shared with me the thing that he saw as most important. He shared Jesus because he wanted me to experience the thing that he truly believed was the only way. And this is what Penn had to say about that. He goes, how much do you have to hate someone not to tell them about Jesus? How much do you have to hate someone not to share Jesus with them or want them to experience that love? Penn talked about it this way. It'd be like looking at a highway and seeing a semi coming by and a person standing in the middle of the road and you're like, oh man, I really hope they get out of the way. We would be like, no, what would you do? You'd run out there and want to let them know what's going on and show them, hey, there's a way to safety. There's a way to something better. And Penn says, man, when you don't share Jesus, what are you actually communicating with them? How much do we love someone that we want them to experience the fullness of who Jesus is? in the same way we can experience it. Because here's the thing, both of these pitfalls, we only love to change them, or we only live without sharing Jesus, I think misses what bold love is at its fundamental core. And it's this, bold love is loving others because Jesus loved us. Bold love at its most basic form is sharing Jesus with others because he first loved us. Where do I get that? Um, if you've been around at all, you've probably heard us talk about what's called like the gospel or the good news of Jesus or the story of Jesus. And that story goes something like this. Here's a 10,000 foot view of it. Um, Jesus being fully God recognized that there was something wrong in us, that we had broken a relationship with him. We had done something or we had been born into something that, that made us separated from him and there was nothing that we could do or say. We could not be good enough. There was nothing that could be done for us to experience who he was and his love. So Jesus recognized this. So he was sent by the Father to be fully man, fully God, live a perfect life, living with bold love, telling people about who he was, having them experience his love, teaching with, without ambiguity, teaching them truth, but loving them in a way that was totally unexpected. To the point of where the religious leaders in the area absolutely hated that people loved Jesus' love more than they liked them. And they wanted people to follow them, so they did what any sane person would do. They killed him. I'm just kidding, that's not what sane people do. That is not, no. They killed him. These religious leaders killed him. Why? Because they were more concerned with their own agenda and changing people to be like them than letting people experience who Jesus was. So Jesus died a horrific death on the cross. 
He died willingly, gave up his life when he could have stopped it. Why? Because he wanted you to know that his love and his life and who he was, he wants you to experience to the point of he was willing to die for you to know about it, for you to experience that love. And three days later, he rose again from the dead to prove and to say that, man, he is God. And that this love doesn't end when he died. It goes on all the way through today and beyond because he wants you to experience that love And he wants those of us that are Christ followers to share that love with other people. This unexpected, bold love with gentleness and respect. Share who Jesus is so people can experience him in a way that changes everything. I'm going to invite the band up. um, And as the band comes up, I have two challenges, two kind of takeaways today um, to two different groups. Uh, One of the groups in here, I want to talk to those that... um, Maybe you would say, like, I'm here investigating Christ, or I'm just trying to figure this out, or I want to talk directly to you for a second. Um, In boldness, I want to step out. If you've never experienced that love, and that's something you want to experience, if you're like, yeah, I have this God-shaped thirst inside of me that I'm trying to fill, and I want to fill it with the right thing and not the thing I've been going back to over and over again, um, you can do that right here, right now. Look, it's not some super mystical thing. It's just between your heart and God's heart. Just say to him, man, I want you to be the thing that I long for from here on out. And if that's you and you're like, yeah, I want to make that decision, I I just want to encourage you, let us know um, on the connect card in the seats in front of you, there's a place on the back you can check off saying something effective, I said yes to Jesus. Drop that in the box because we want to come alongside you and help you figure out what what does that look like and how does Jesus love you. We'd love to have a conversation with you about it. Um, The other side, for those of us that call ourselves Christ followers in the room, um, I want to leave you with this challenge. Uh, you may have seen these if you've been around for the last couple of weeks. If you haven't, what these are is these are wallpapers or backgrounds on your cell phone. Um, we also have buttons out there at the front desk that are free. If you want one of those, feel free to grab it. And, and what this is, is we ask as you download them, um, put them on your phone. When you see them, just to remind you of like to be bold and to boldly love people. And one of the things on these is you'll see these bottom three kind of emoji type things on all three of them, whichever one you want. Um, those are not just some cool thing. Those are actually there for a reason. And then it represent this. We're calling it um, your three. Or put it this way. Who are three people in your life that you want to boldly love and to see come to know Jesus? Who are three people, as you sit here right now, that you're like, man, I would love to have this person experience Jesus to the fullest. So what we've been saying over the last couple weeks is pray for them. We've also said um, do something kind for them. Um, And so this week, here's the challenge. I want you, if you can, I I triple dog dare you. Take one step in their direction this week. Take one step in bold love towards them. Uh, Maybe it's um, inviting them out for coffee or inviting them to a meal, which, quick aside, if you do either of those, pay for it. Don't just love with your mouth, love with your wallet. Like, start off with bold love and not just what you say, but what you do, too. Take, are you willing this week to take one step in their direction? Are you willing to cross over into their world with the ultimate form of love? Because if we really want to boldly love people, we're loving because Jesus loved us first and crossed over in a way to us that was even difficult for him. But he did it anyway, because he loves us. Here's the prayer. Lord, help me boldly love or make me bold for fill in the blank with that person's name because they desperately need you. Let's pray. Um, Father, you are a God that um, 
You are a God that loves us enough that you would send your son Jesus to die so that we could know who you are, so that we could experience your love in a way that, that, that God changes everything, not just to change us, but so that we can know that love and share that with other people. Um, God, I thank you so much that we have a space right here, right now, just to say, Lord, make me brave, um, make me bold, and help us to boldly love people as we go from here. God, thank you that you changed my life, that you changed me enough to experience your love, that, that, that God, it, 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 it made me new. It changes the way I think, God, and I thank you for that. God, we love you and praise you in Jesus. In his name we pray.